Greetings and welcome to the Audio Tidbits Podcast Network. We hope you enjoy the show. Chapter 5, The Intervention Set At this point, we have combined an understanding of the crisis state with an insight into people in crisis. We have learned how to assess a crisis, including ideas about its possible causes and effects. We know how to involve the individual in the process of understanding what is happening, what happened, and what is likely to happen. We are now ready to help the individual move toward crisis resolution because we have an idea about the possible causes and consequences of his specific crisis. A superficially simple point is that crisis resolution necessarily involves either changing those factors, situations, or circumstances causing the crisis, or modifying the possible effects or outcomes of the crisis. Crisis Reduction Recall our earlier example in which Dick learned of his wife's marital infidelity. Were we not to intervene, the outcome might be that Dick could pack his bags and leave. As we look at that crisis, we see that the precipitating event, Dick's learning of his wife's infidelity, is not amenable to influence or change. There is nothing that can be done to change that situation. However, our intervention can lead to an alternative and less destructive outcome. For example, through discussion and understanding, Dick may realize that leaving home immediately may be a less desirable option than staying at home until he and his wife work out other arrangements. This does not mean that he necessarily will or should reconcile with his wife. It only means that he stays at home until a better and less destructive plan can be worked out. This enables Dick to avoid the possible snowball effect of leaving now. As a further example, suppose the crisis involves a teenager who has left home and is tripped out on drugs. As we think about his predicament with him, we learn that his leaving home was precipitated by a serious argument with his parents over curfew hours. We became sufficiently involved with the teenager and his crisis so that we both understand that the curfew precipitated the crisis, and we have explored the possible consequences of being away from home and tripping out on drugs. Intervention might be directed toward these undesirable consequences or effects of the crisis. We may use the crisis communication skills, discussed in a later section of this text, to talk him down from his bad trip. At the same time, we might encourage the teenager to consider the option of returning home and accepting the curfew and at the same time, with his permission, talking with his parents about the possibility of counseling or guidance for the family. In crisis intervention, our goal is to modify or change the effects or outcomes of the crisis, modify or change situations or conditions precipitating the crisis, or achieve some change mix in both causes and outcomes. How much change is required? It is important to remember that our intervention needs to promote only enough change in either causes or consequences to decrease the now potential and or to increase the self-resolution factor. Generally, our intervention does not resolve or eliminate the conflict between the individual and his total situation. More probably, it will lead only to reducing the crisis state to the conflict state. A crisis is an emergency. Crisis intervention removes the emergency dimension of the situation. In this sense, crisis intervention is a first aid or symptomatic relief procedure. Understanding that the goal of crisis intervention is the modification of the precipitating event and or the reduction or elimination of undesirable consequences or outcomes is difficult for most newcomers to crisis intervention to grasp. Our natural tendency is to feel a responsibility to resolve or remove the conflict existing between the individual and his total situation. In the case of the teenager tripped out on drugs for example, we are motivated to help him work out what is probably a long-standing and very involved conflict between him and his parents. Our understanding of crisis intervention and our orientation to the social interaction model however, should curb this tendency to be excessively enthusiastic and optimistic about how much we can or should accomplish. If, during our involvement in crisis situations, we make an extra effort to establish and maintain crisis focus, we will maintain a more realistic view of our purposes and abilities. We need to remember that our goal is to resolve the crisis rather than to eliminate or substantially modify the ongoing conflict. Intervention Hypothesis 
As we work with people in crisis, we develop an idea about what might reduce the critical effects of the crisis. Based on our understanding of what is happening, what happened, and what is likely to happen, we work with the individual to develop an intervention hypothesis, or plan for modifying the causes or outcome of the crisis. Our crisis focus then, combines with our focus on our intervention hypothesis. What will probably help, of course, depends upon our intervention hypothesis and upon the precipitating event and possible unseen effects of the specific crisis. Each time we intervene in a crisis, we develop an individualized intervention hypothesis with the person in crisis. The specifics of that hypothesis are as individualized as the person and the crisis itself. Frequently however, just getting the individual to settle down, slow down, and plan ahead is sufficient to resolve the crisis by helping the individual to a point where he can handle and work on the conflict himself. In fact, if we do get him to settle down, slow down, and plan ahead, we have essentially reduced the now potential. If he is then in a position to deal with the conflict himself, the self-resolution factor is substantially higher. We defined a crisis as a conflict with a high now potential and a low self-resolution factor. If, following our hypothesis, we have reduced the now potential and increased the self-resolution factor, we have effectively resolved the crisis. Our intervention hypothesis is, of course, our idea about what will help. What we can do to help in any particular situation depends, in large measure, on our experience and ingenuity. Not to be underestimated however, is the effectiveness of developing and following our intervention hypothesis. This, combined with our self-confidence, will come through to the individual and give him confidence also. Mrs. G is talking with you about her difficulties. I am at the end of my rope, just can't cope with it anymore. I've been back from the alcoholism center over three months now, and things are just about as bad as they were before I left. I thought if I got off the juice maybe that would straighten things out. Everyone's always blamed me and my drinking for all the trouble, but I've been off three months now, and things aren't any better. I'm just at my wit's end, can't follow through with anything. It's the old alcoholic story, can't handle it and want to drown in a bottle. It just goes around in circles. We, referring to herself and her husband fight. I'm worn out. It's the bills. I'm unnerved. The shakes are getting to me. I'm too close to my friends to talk about it. They just say, chin up. Life's tough all over. Nobody understands how hard it really is. You say, I'm glad you're able to talk to me about it. It sounds like it's really getting to you. Are you and your husband fighting now? No, he's a trucker and is out on a trip. He won't be back for a couple of days. We were fighting when he left, but he really loves me. I don't know why, but things will be okay when he gets home for a while. You ask, do you have anyone else to talk to about things? My parents try to help. They're getting old and can't stand the nervousness and strain. I don't want to burden them with my troubles. I used to talk to his mother, but she died a while back. I sure miss her. You say, I bet you do. It's hard when we lose someone we could really talk with. What do you do to keep yourself occupied? Time means nothing anymore. I just go day to day and see what happens. You ask, do you have any hobbies or other things like that to keep you busy? My husband used to work on cars, and I kept his records for him. I like figures and enjoy doing that. You ask, why did he stop doing that? He just goes from one thing to another. He's had nine jobs since we've been married. My first husband was a real reliable man. My husband now just goes from one thing to another. We went for counseling three or four years ago, and it helped for a while, but now it's just back to the same old thing. He got mad and quit the counseling like he does everything else. You ask, do you have any children? Three. The youngest has a heart murmur. I found out about it just a few weeks ago. Things just go from bad to worse. Sometimes I feel like giving up. I'm just an a yo-yo, up and down. You say, it sounds like you have a lot to deal with. I'm not sure I would be able to handle all of it if I were you, 
Oh, it's not really that bad. A lot of people have it worse. As you talk with Mrs. G, your picture of her crisis takes on some detail and content. At first, it may not seem that she really has a crisis. She is in a continually difficult situation but seems to be able to cope with it. She is unhappy, feeling rather down and does not seem very optimistic. Nevertheless, she is dealing with her situation. Where is the crisis? We know that she is an alcoholic and that she has received treatment at the alcoholism center. She has been off alcohol for three months. The now potential is then, that she may revert to drinking as a way of coping with her anxiety and depression. At this point, she is feeling somewhat cut off from her world and seems to feel that no one really understands her or cares. For Mrs. G, an intervention hypothesis, an idea about what might help, would involve some thought about her feelings that she is on a yo-yo, and does not have anyone with whom to talk. Perhaps speaking with her in an interested and supportive way will help her get through this temporary crisis. In fact, at the end of the discussion, she expresses somewhat more optimistic thoughts and feels that it's not really that bad. This is a sign she is beginning to believe in her ability to cope with her situation. Most crisis intervention services have a few clients who use the service from time to time for social and emotional support. It is tempting to become annoyed with them because we feel that they are taking advantage of the service. With Mrs. G however, it is clear that occasionally being able to use the crisis service may enable her to cope with her life situation without falling back on alcohol. Talking with someone who is interested and who cares is helpful to Mrs. G. An intervention hypothesis involving Mrs. G then, is fairly uncomplicated. If you talk with her when she is feeling upset and at her wit's end, she will be more able to cope with her world. In every crisis situation, we need to develop an intervention hypothesis. At times, the hypothesis may be fairly involved and call for a lot of innovative action on our part. Very frequently however, our intervention hypothesis is fairly simple and limited. Just giving individuals an opportunity to talk, think things through, and to have their feelings understood and respected is sufficient to reduce their crisis. Intervention Our actual intervention is, surprisingly enough, the least complicated part of the intervention process, but it requires the most skill. Once we develop our intervention hypothesis, our actual intervention only involves following through with that hypothesis. Some further comments related to intervention hypotheses may be helpful. Fundamentally, our intervention hypothesis in any given crisis can focus in only a few areas. As we discussed, we can focus on the individual and attempt to get him to calm down, slow down, and plan ahead. As varied as crisis situations are, this focus on the individual is by far the most common need in crisis intervention. Later we will discuss crisis communication as a way of responding to this kind of individual need. In addition to individual focus, our intervention hypothesis could relate to environmental modification or an attempt to change something or someone in the individual's total situation. In some crises, we may want to focus our intervention hypothesis on the interaction between the individual and his total situation. At other times, we may want to direct our intervention hypothesis specifically toward reducing the now potential of the crisis. If a man tells you that he is going to kill himself, one of your first questions should relate to how he proposes to accomplish that. If he tells you that he is going to shoot himself with a gun that is lying on the table between the two of you, the now potential will be substantially reduced if you take the gun or at least make it inoperative. If a mother tells you she is afraid that she is going to injure one of her children severely, it would be wise to get someone else to watch the children for a while. What can you do or what can you get the individual to do either to lower the now potential or to increase the self-resolution factor? Your answer to that question in any specific situation is your intervention hypothesis. Throughout our discussion of crisis intervention, we have considered numerous examples of crisis situations and of people in crisis. Generally, intervention has been in terms of talking, thinking, responding to feeling, and helping the individual evaluate alternative plans of action. Intervention has been primarily a verbal, feeling process. 
There are however, many crisis situations in which we should try to either get the individual to do something specific or do it ourselves. The example about the man who is going to shoot himself can serve to stimulate our thinking. If someone tells us that he is thinking about killing himself, we should always try to find out how he proposes to do that. If we are talking with someone on the hotline and he tells us that he is going to overdose with a bottle of tranquilizers he has in his bathroom, we will talk with him to try to get him to externalize and focus his anger. At some point in our conversation, we will hopefully get him to agree not to kill himself. If it is at all possible, we should get him to flush the tranquilizers down the toilet. If possible, we want him to lay the telephone receiver down, go flush the medication, and come back to the telephone to tell us that he has done it. Someone who is considering suicide in a serious way usually has a good idea about how he will do it. If the person no longer has the bottle of tranquilizers, he will at least have to think up a new way of killing himself if he again becomes acutely depressed after talking with us on the telephone. If a young mother tells us that her child has accidentally swallowed some household cleaning fluid, we tell her to rush the child to a hospital emergency room. It is also important that we tell her to take the bottle or container with her. If an elderly person calls us and tells us that she is afraid that someone is trying to break into her house, the likelihood is that she has become lonely and somewhat upset. If she really thought someone were breaking in, she would probably have called the police instead of the hotline. Nevertheless, if we think that someone may indeed be trying to break in after we have talked with her for a few minutes, it would be a good idea to have her hang up, call the police, and then call us back. If a teenager calls us to inquire, for a friend, about the signs and symptoms of venereal disease, we want to give him full and complete information. In addition, we will want to make sure that he knows that venereal disease is potentially progressive. It can get much worse over a period of time. We want to be sure he understands that his friend should go immediately to the VD clinic or to his family doctor for an examination. If a young woman calls us for abortion information, we should be sure that she knows she should first be certain she is pregnant. It is surprising how many young women and teenage girls decide they are pregnant and make plans for an abortion without having a pregnancy test. One of our good friends may come to us quite upset, telling us about something he has heard about his wife. He has decided to file for a divorce on the strength of the rumor. We should encourage him to confront his wife directly with the information before doing anything drastic. If we talk with an individual who seems to have overdosed himself with drugs and convince him to go to a hospital emergency room, we should be sure to call the emergency room and explain the situation before the individual gets there. If we refer someone to a welfare department, a mental health clinic, a physician, or other service, we should always call someone there and discuss the situation so that the agency has the benefit of our understanding and thinking. If a young child came into our office and told us that he was lost and asked us to call his parents for him, we would do it without hesitation. It is surprising though, to hear of situations where children and teenagers have come to counselors, drop-in centers, emergency services, and so on, indicating that they are in some kind of desperate situation and asking if someone would call their parents and talk with them about the problem, only to be told, we do not do that sort of thing. You will have to contact your parents yourself. How do we, as crisis intervention workers, decide when it is okay for us to do something very specific? If it is something consistent with good ethical practice, we will do whatever needs to be done to help the individual through this crisis. The goal of crisis intervention is crisis reduction. The value framework underlying crisis intervention directs us to do whatever is reasonable and necessary to help the individual in crisis. Evaluation. As we evaluate the effectiveness of our intervention, we should ask ourselves, are the critical symptoms going away? Are things getting better? If our answer is yes then we need only follow our hypothesis. Our understanding of what is happening, what happened, and what might happen. And our understanding of the individual and his total situation. If our intervention is not working then either our definition of the crisis or our intervention hypothesis is wrong. We need to develop either a better definition of the crisis or consider alternative intervention hypotheses. 
the result of this rethinking should be the development of a new or modified intervention hypothesis. That new hypothesis is then re-evaluated in terms of its effectiveness. Mr. H contacts us with what seems to be a fairly concrete problem. He and his wife live on Social Security, and their check is a few days late. He is very worried about how they are going to pay their bills and is concerned because they will not have any money to buy food. You ask him if he has called the Social Security office to ask about his check. Your initial hypothesis is that Mr. H needs some specific suggestions. He says that he has called the Social Security office and in the next breath asks if you will take him to keep an appointment at his doctor's the next afternoon. You tell him that you will not be able to take him. You suggest that he call someone in his church. Maybe they will give him a ride. Your hypothesis suggests that you should try to help him think of a way to get to his doctor's office to keep the appointment. Instead of responding to your suggestion, he tells you that his wife is sick and may have to go to the hospital. At that point, you reevaluate your initial hypothesis, which said that Mr. H wanted information and suggestions, and try a new hypothesis that Mr. H wants to talk with someone about his wife. As you continue talking with Mr. H, developing and testing out various intervention hypotheses, you finally come to the conclusion that Mr. H is lonely and simply wants someone to talk with. You say to him, you seem rather lonely and sound as if it is good to have someone to talk with. He responds to this in a positive way, confirming your new intervention hypothesis. Kathy, age 14, comes into your office and seems to be very interested in you, your family, the kinds of things you do, your education, and so on. Your initial hypothesis is that Kathy is interested in becoming a crisis intervention worker and wants to know more about it. As you begin to talk about crisis intervention, you notice that Kathy is focusing most of her questioning around teenagers. You begin to suspect that Kathy is having some kind of problem herself and is interested in talking about what is normal. You follow this new intervention hypothesis for a while, and Kathy relaxes a little and becomes very chatty. She tells you about a friend who has been shoplifting. She goes on to ask what you might do if the friend were to come to talk with you. You develop a new intervention hypothesis while wondering if Kathy is talking about a friend or if she is really talking about herself. As the discussion goes on, you learn that Kathy really does have a friend who has been shoplifting and who wants to talk with you. The friend has talked Kathy into bringing up the subject with you to see what kind of reaction the friend would get were she to come to talk with you. Your intervention hypothesis finally focuses on Kathy's real concern. Would you be willing to talk with her friend without turning her into the authorities? You assure Kathy that you are very willing to talk with her friend and that you will not turn her in. Kathy leaves and comes back in about 15 minutes with her friend. As we can see from these two cases, it is important for us to develop an initial intervention hypothesis. We need to have some idea of what may help. As mentioned earlier, help is only to avoid premature adoption of our initial hypothesis. In these two cases we become helpful only after evaluating our intervention hypothesis and developing a new one as the discussion progresses. People who come to us always want something. The point needs emphasis. People who contact crisis intervention services always have some reason, goal, purpose, or need. Even if they are cranks and are contacting us just for kicks, they do have some purpose. They think they will get some kind of thrill from calling us or coming to our drop-in center. It is worth a moment's thought to consider an individual who would contact a crisis service just for kicks. Most of the time, he is fairly lonely, has some kind of social or emotional problem, or has been put up to it by friends. In any event, talking to us does make him feel better. If we keep this in mind, it may be a little easier to deal with the next crank situation we come in contact with. In the vast majority of situations however, people who contact crisis services have a good and serious reason for doing so. We must start at the very outset of our contact with them by trying to understand their reasons for contacting us. We develop an initial understanding of why they contacted us and some initial ideas about how we might help. As our contact with them continues, our understanding of their reasons for contacting us and our ideas about what we can do will usually shift and may sometimes change quite drastically. 
Our picture of the crisis and our intervention hypothesis must remain quite flexible and open to change and modification. We must be alert to the individual's thoughts, messages, and feelings. This alertness will enable us to develop and evaluate an intervention strategy responsive to the individual's special needs. In summary, crisis intervention is a mental health process can be conceptually summarized in terms of crisis focus, crisis definition, development of intervention hypothesis, evaluation of intervention effectiveness, reconsideration of the crisis definition and the intervention hypothesis, formulation of new or modified intervention hypotheses, further evaluation, crisis reduction. As we can see, the crisis intervention process is reducible to a formula or a series of steps. Following that formula in actual crises with real people however, requires careful thinking, study, and practice. Once you have a good feel for and understanding of the crisis intervention process and are oriented to the social interaction model presented here, you are ready to consider the specialized communication skills essential to effective crisis intervention.